You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. The book of Nahum is um, after the book of Micah. It is very close to the very end of the Old Testament. That's where we've been, the 12 minor prophets. And uh, prepare yourself for uh, Nahum chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. We're going to read those verses. Um, So Nahum chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Prepare yourself for a not nice passage. This isn't a passage of puppy dogs and rainbows and little baby rabbits. This is a passage of the depth of who God is and um, that, that God has a side to him that, that isn't just puppy dogs and, and rainbows and, and nice things and clowns giving away balloons and Santa Clauses giving you material gifts. God does have a side to him that we should fear. And we've been talking about this um, as we've been talking about the 12 minor prophets and the prophets of destruction, the prophets of doom. And I got to tell you, I've been a little, I don't know, depressed or just like, this isn't fun in the way that it's like happy-go-lucky Bible teaching. This is, this is hard teaching this past month. And as we continue the minor prophet series, um, this is hard teaching. And so listen to what it says. Nahum chapter 1, verse 1, it says, An oracle concerning Nineveh. We'll talk about that city in a minute. Uh, the book of the vision of Nahum, son of Eloshai. Uh, verse 2, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord uh, takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and the, maintains his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and is great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds of the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and it dries up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence and and all the world and those who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? This idea of uh, um, hating what is unjust is what indignation is. Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. Verse 7, maybe a memory verse. This is a, a piece of uh, beauty here in this passage. It says, The Lord is good, a refuge in time of trouble. He cares for those who trust him. Verse 8, But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end to Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the darkness. Let's pray this morning. God, we do take this scripture seriously. God, we, we take it from, from you as, as your word. Um, to the Ninevites and your word to us that we can understand it and, and, and apply it to our lives. And God, we ask you to help us apply it to our lives. Help us, um, even though this passage is hard, hard to understand, it's, it's not rainbows and puppies, God. God, we do understand that you are a God who hates what is evil, you hate what is sinful. God, may we understand that. We, may we understand the context of this passage and, and use it for interpretation for our own lives and a future uh, of ourselves. God, we we do give you praise and honor this morning. And everybody screamed. Amen. Amen. So a hard passage to start off with. We'll return to that passage towards the end. But here's a picture of the prophet. The literal picture, if you type into Google search, you type in the word prophet, this picture comes up. Can you see him from where you're at? Like an old guy with a beard, um, with a robes. That's kind of the image of prophet that we have. And on your, your skillet, the notes you were given when we came in, there's another picture of a prophet, an old guy with a beard, a robes. This is the image that we have 
of profit. And I think as we've been studying last month and we continue this month as we've been talking about the minor prophets, maybe we have these images of what a a prophet is, this guy of old, this guy that's maybe a hermit and he he spends his time up in the mountains growing his beard out and prophesying epic things. And the minor prophets in many cases prophesy epic things like one nation arising uh, and, and destroying another nation and thus saith the Lord and these big awesome epic um, prophecies. But today I'm going to introduce this with a story and then we'll come back to this idea. And, and what I want to say is that we are living in a time post-Jesus where many prophecies um, have been spoken that, that this today, our time, we should be living in a time where prophecies aren't as unusual as maybe sometimes we think about them. If, if your thought of a prophecy is just that, oh, a prophecy has to come from a prophet, and a prophet has to wear robes and live by themselves on a mountain and have a very long beard, then that's very unusual. I don't know very many people that are living on the mountains with very long beards, um, but I do know lots of you. And I, I think that um, prophecy, in some cases, I, I'm going to argue that, that maybe prophecy should be more of a common thing that happens amongst Christians and the Christian church. Maybe um, someone will send you a message via Facebook of a prophecy. How interesting would that be? And that it would just come on a normal day, like any other day, um, someone could give you a prophecy. And so I, had, I have a story of Monday, um, someone sent uh, Erica and I, I guess, uh, a prophecy. It's, I don't want to embarrass him. His name's uh, Mike. He's sitting back there. Um, but, the, but the idea is to just say, um, Mike doesn't have a long beard. He doesn't live on a mountain. He is considered, I think, I would, I would um, say that he's given us a prophecy. And so if that makes him a, a, an official title of a prophet, I don't know. We, that's a discussion for another time. But I think that this idea of prophecy being a normal everyday thing should be a good thing. And so he sent a message. The prophecy was actually for Erica, my wife, and he sent it to me as well, because I think that's just a wise thing to do. You don't have to do that. But um, Erica is my wife, and he's sending my wife a message. And so he included me. I I think that's wise and above reproach. Um, And so on a normal day, last Monday, he sent a prophecy that just encouraged her, said things like, um, Erica, I'm forwarding you this to Joe. Uh, this is what I heard in prayer yesterday. And it goes on to say, um, to talk about uh, how, how she's going through motherhood and transition, but the Lord has his eyes upon her. And then he goes into this prophecy about her um, melody and her writing music and continuing in that. And maybe, I don't know what he was, I should probably ask him what he was thinking when he wrote that, but maybe he was just talking about the figurative uh, songs of our life that we live. But Erica, of course, took it very literal. If you know Erica, she's a singer, songwriter. She led worship at the mill a couple weeks ago. That's her. Um, And so she took it very literal, and it was just really encouraging for her. She read through it, and it was just like an every, it's, it's seemingly everyday occurrence to for us to hear things in prayer and for the, for those things to be shared, I, I would not hesitate at all to say that that was a prophecy. And and we, I think as Christians, I'm going to argue today and talk about prophecy a little bit, that, that we, if our only image of a prophet is this old man with a beard up on a hill, then I think we're missing it. That this, we're missing this idea that, that God speaks to all of us and can speak in everyday situations and has messages for us and for others and for the edification of the church. And I see this as a very good thing. Does anyone else? Yes. Good. Me too. All right. So let's continue. 
talking about the minor prophets. Uh, we're in this two-month series um, that we've never done a two-month-in-a-row series before at the Mill Sunday School. We're trying to take all 12 of the minor prophets, these last books of the Old Testament, and to talk about when they lived and what they did and go through each and every one of them. Today, hopefully, uh, we'll get some time to talk quickly about Nahum and Micah, these two prophets um, of Judah. And um, I just wanted to introduce that as as the topic for today and say that if you're new to the Bill Sunday School, that's what we're going to be talking about all this month. And if you're new, there's uh, cards on all the table. They're they're yellow and uh, they're they're first-timer cards. If you would like to fill one out, you can bring it to the nice people as you leave in the back. They'll give you a CD. It's from the mill. Uh, our, the mill is our college ministry, by the way. It's our main meeting on a Friday night, and the, the CD has some worship music that we recorded then, and, um, and so that's a gift for you if you're new. And let's continue, shall we, um, with the review. How many of you uh, have seen this map before and remember this map? Do you see it? Raise your hand if you remember it. Say, yes. Oh, look at all the hands. That's beautiful. That's encouraging to me. Because we have put this map up for the last five, count them, five Mill Sunday schools, because the minor prophets fall in this about 500-year period when uh, Israel and Judah had split from one another. There was a king of the United Kingdom. His name was David. You know about him, maybe, David and Goliath, that king. His son, David's son, that became king next. Solomon, uh, he became king of this united kingdom. And then Solomon's son, does anyone remember his name? Rehoboam. That's amazing that you know that. You're nerds. That, and that's a good thing, by the way. Um, Rehoboam was the last king of the united kingdom. And then uh, the north split from the south and it became Israel and Judah. And Israel is kind of the, the bad guys, air quotations. But not. we don't really need air quotations because the Lord says that they were evil before him because they set up idols. Two uh, cities that had idols, Dan and Bethel, they set up these idols, these calf idols, and worshipped them. And the prophets of the north were Jonah, Amos, and Hosea. These prophets that said, repent, God is going to destroy you. Would you just turn away from your sin? Stop worshiping these idols. Turn to the Lord your God. And did they? No, they didn't. Um, in, in 722, the Assyrians invaded them. And that's 722 BC or BCE, if you want to be correct politically, I guess. Um, the Assyrians destroyed Israel, and it's really <clears throat> because the Lord sent them. Why would I say that? Well, because the Bible says that. If you uh, are writing down scriptures, you could write down Isaiah 10, uh, starting in verse 5, and it's the Lord speaking. It says, The Assyrians were the rod of my anger, in whose hand is the club of my wrath. So the club is the Assyrians, and God is figuratively smashing Israel with the figurative club of the Assyrians. They destroy Israel of the north. Uh, and it says, I send, I send them against the godless nation. I dispatch him against the people who anger me to seize and loot and snatch plunder, to trample upon them like mud in the streets. And so Israel just becomes the 10 lost tribes. They are wiped out by the Assyrians. And so here we are focusing now on what is left the kingdom of Judah, the kingdom of the south. And the prophets of the south, the, the, there's six minor prophets of Judah, and the, the major prophets, all of them, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Isaiah, were all prophets of Judah. And Judah, um, on all your tables, is, uh, is this epically huge 
packed, filled with information timeline. And if you look at that timeline, you'll see that the kingdom splits, and there's the top and the bottom, Israel and Judah, and Israel just kind of ends in 722 there. Um, but Judah continues on, and you have some good kings and some bad kings. Um, but, but roughly, this idea continues throughout the, the prophets of Judah that they need to repent. They need to return of the Lord. And sometimes they do under good kings, but then they go back and idol worship and, and do sinful things as a nation under a bad kings. And then the, the kingdom of Babylon comes in and destroys them. So I'm, I'm talking now, I've, I've talked about two, three hundred years of history. We're going to keep talking about this huge piece of history and all these things that happened and then talk about the, how the minor prophets lived in that time as a sort of review. So stick with us. So the Babylonians invade. I put the date 586 up there because that's the date in which Jerusalem was destroyed by the horrible, mighty Babylonians. And once again, God himself says that he is the one that sent them. It's not just God allowed the Babylonians to come, but 2 Kings 24, 2, if you're writing down verses, says the Lord sent the Babylonian raiders against him to destroy Judah in accordance with the word of God proclaimed by his servants of prophets. And so the Lord sent the Babylonians to destroy the, uh, Judah because Judah was sinful before him. And then fast forwarding just a little bit more, we have um, the, the, the exile and how the Babylonians took out the, the people of Judah. Daniel was one of them. The book of Daniel is written about um, the, the, his uh, experience as a captive. And then Ezekiel was also one of these captives that was taken. And then right before anything else can happen, the Persians take over the Babylonians. And then we have this period of history where nothing is seemingly going on in Judah or Israel. The land has just been devastated. The buildings have been broken down. And then um, fast forward just a little bit more time in history. You have the under Ezra and Nehemiah, the, the Jews are allowed to return and rebuild their kingdom. And so here's that final slide of people be, being able to return. And the prophets uh, that were able, the, the, the three minor prophets that were able to return and, and to, to speak about it, to prophesy, were Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So raise your hand if you're not confused Okay, so I see a couple of hands. I see that hand. Thank you. Um, here is, uh, so I'll kind of re- recap again, and then we'll start talking about this big idea of prophecy. But if you could read this, um, you have good eyes, by the way, because it's a lot of information on one slide, and it's all 12 of the minor prophets, uh, starting off with Jonah. That was the first prophet we talked about. Amos and Hosea, they were the prophets of Israel, of north. And then we've been talking about Obadiah, And Joel, today we'll talk about Micah and Nahum. Next time we'll talk about Habakkuk and Zephaniah. Those were the prophets of Judah, that southern kingdom. And then the last three prophets, which happen to be the last three of the Old Testament itself, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, were the three prophets of the returned remnant. And so to talk about the background of the minor prophets is like talking about 500 years of history and a lot of epic changes are happening to Israel and Judah. So that's why I I keep figuratively beating this figurative dead horse in, in talking about how what was going on in the time period of the minor prophets and on and on about these details about when they lived and what was going on. The gist of it was, was what I just said. So, um, so that's the gist of it. Hopefully that 
and I imagine some of you will like to, we do, by the way, podcast these Sunday school talks. I think we're up to date. So you can go online and, and go to the mill online or newlifechurch.org and find the mill Sunday school and listen and re-listen to some of the background. Um, the very first uh, Sunday of, of this series, two last month, we, we started off with this epic history of all of the entire Old Testament scripture. And I think that if you were here, that may have been helpful to, to line it all up for you. So anyways, enough with background. We are going to change gears now and talk about prophecy. And then later we're going to change gears and talk about Micah. Then later we're going to change gears and talk about Nahum. So we're talking about four things today that, that are kind of standalone things, but they're going to be the four pillars that kind of hold up our continuation of, of talking about the minor prophets. And so be prepared that, that we are now talking about something else. We are no longer reviewing the history of the minor prophets. We're talking about prophecy. And last week you all drum rolled and I gave you um, what I was going to, I was like building it up, like I'm going to give you an awesome some definition of prophecy. Remember you drum rolled and then I turned the slide and all I gave you for the definition of prophecy was a message from God, which is like, ah, uh, that's all you got? That, that, that definition has no distinctives. It has no description. And I talked about how it has no bite to it because just saying that a prophecy is a message of God is like saying, duh, of course it is. Like, yeah, but that definition doesn't actually say anything. And so last week we had three by five cards. Do you remember this? Um, and some of you, actually quite a few of you, I was impressed with, I think almost every table plus some people um, gave a definition of prophecy. And so I scanned some of them in to embarrass you and to read them um, out loud. So here's a few of them that I got. I'll start off with a silly one. I think it's silly. Um, it just, ha- I don't know if you could see this, but it has a picture yeah, that's our table. It has a picture of Yoda, and it says, To fruition it shall come. Yes. Mmm. And I'm sure you want me to read it like Yoda, so I will. To fruition it shall come. Yes. Mmm. That was horrible. I shouldn't have even done that. <clears throat> Anyways, but I think in some ways that's, that's, that's our thoughts of what prophecy is. Yoda is the, is the guy that, that figuratively lives on the mountain by himself. And, and I, does he have a beard? Or I think he has a little scraggly beard. So he has the beard and he's just this prophetic character that, that is standalone. And today I kind of just want to say that maybe that was true in the Old Testament. Maybe these prophets were like that. But I think prophecy is more, it should be more of a Maybe an everyday thing, as, as, as I'm going to argue in just a second. So that was the first one. Somebody else, it was, there was like a theme of drawing, um, but prophecy with bite. And then, and then Suho drew a little tiger or a liger. I'm not sure either is beautiful. Um, so with bite. But then he put a, a legitimate definition that I was going to read. And he says, a vision from God of something that would otherwise remain unseen. I think that's allegorical and figurative, but I think it's the prophecy can give us these, these insights into things that would have n- never been thought of unless God himself um, showed you or through someone who is acting as a prophet in that circumstance. Um, and then this one, an- another funny one, just because a lot of these um, cheered, cheered me up this week as I was reading through them. Um, Joel says, if it comes true, we count it as prophetic. If false, we count it as pathetic. I thought that was cool and funny because I'm going to argue in a second here too that we should um, 
test prophecies. And if a prophecy doesn't come true, if a prophecy isn't correct, then we don't have to accept it as a prophecy. We can say that, yeah, there are people who speak for the Lord, but they say they're speaking for the Lord, but maybe they're not. Uh, Maybe the message that they have is coming from something inside of them, something selfish or some anger inside of them or just from themselves, and it's not from God. And so if it doesn't come true, if it's not right, we should count it as pathetic, like uh, the six degrees of Joel says. I'm not sure what that means. Anyways, well, that's for later. Um, and in this one, where we're, I'm, I'm getting now to more serious definitions. I like this one a lot. Uh, someone kind of listed some things here, some ideas that were listed. They said, prophecy, prophecy, anything spoken from God that edifies the church and that, that builds up the church. And I'm going to argue that in a second with the, some New Testament scriptures. Um, and then they said, prophecy speaks of the future. It sure can. New Testament, whatever edifies the church. Old Testament, coming back to God. And so this table, this person um, differentiated between a New Testament and an Old Testament prophecy which I think is very wise, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. Um, and so this final one, I thought this one would win. Um, I thought I was, as I was looking through the prophecies, if this is yours and your table, you did, a, a, I think, a, a very good job in um, articulating a great definition for prophecy. And they said a situation revealed or predicted. So this could be, uh, and we talked about Joel, it was just last week, I think we talked about Joel, who wasn't future predicting in, in most cases. He was talking about an event that did happen, and he was just giving insight to this past event. So I like how this table uh, said, a situation revealed or predicted by the Holy Spirit through a vessel chosen by the Lord. And so that vessel is usually other human beings, but I guess it doesn't have to be. That's, that's a good clarification. Um, through a vessel chosen by the Lord to fulfill his will and encourage a response from his people. So to fulfill the Lord's will, his will, um, I, I like that, and to encourage a response from his people. And I think in the Old Testament especially, the minor prophets specifically, we have all these prophets saying, repent, and with God wanting them to repent, turn from your evilness. Yeah, and that's what God wants. God wants the response from his people, from the city, from that nation, to, to, to be uh, according to his will. And so um, I just want to quickly talk about prophecy for today in this bigger topic of um, the minor prophets. And I want to argue that prophecy is for today. And we read last week in Joel, if you're writing down verses to look at later, if you can flip there quickly, turn to Joel chapter 2, 28. It's a very famous uh, passage of scripture where <coughs> it says... Um, this is prophecy that says, Afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And then Peter, uh, flashing forward to the New Testament, Peter stands up at Pentecost and said, That day that Joel said a long time ago that was coming is now here. And so if your image, and this is where I was going with this whole story in the beginning and putting up the picture of the prophet and with the beard, like if your picture, if your image of a prophet is just an old man living on a mountain with, an old, with a big beard and, and saying things on scrolls, then, then get that image out of your head because there's a day coming and this day now has come when, when your sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams, but young men will see visions. Even on the servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And so I would argue from this passage, from the context of the New Testament, that prophecy 
is for today, that we can still hear the voice of the Lord and that that, 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 that is still going on um, today. And I would maybe even argue that it's going on in more of an everyday fashion than maybe it was in the Old Testament. However, I, I will give that up to you for a discussion question in a minute, this difference between Old and New Testament in a second. So prophecy is for today. Three points I want to give you if you're writing down notes to think and consider about later. Uh, the first one is to desire it. Um, if you're thinking, wow, yeah, prophecy is pretty cool. Should I, should I want prophecy? Should I desire it? Well, 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, follow the way of love, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially, and then what gift is mentioned? Especially prophecy. So eagerly desire spiritual gifts of all kinds, especially prophecy. So it's something that we should desire. It's something that we should want. Uh, the next point that I had as far as notes go, is to test prophecy. Um, I, I have a biology background. My undergrad, my college years were spent doing science and biology and all kinds of awesome things that I like to do with science. And part of the scientific mindset says that we should test something. If someone comes to you and says something that they think, like medically, like this happens to be this, or um, I was, I was, this just randomly came to my mind, but my wife was saying that lavender lotion on babies, <laughs> I shouldn't say this, but now you're all looking at me. <laughs> I, um, so lavender lotion on babies could, could stimulate baby breast growth, and so little baby boys could have little baby boobies. <laughs> Can I say that at Sunday school? Anyways... I don't, I, that's probably a list. Uh, Brady Boyd probably handed out a list of words you're not supposed to say, and that was probably on the list, if there was a list. Um, I apologize. I think I'm turning red. Anyway, I, I, there's sometimes horrible examples come to my mind, and I'm like, oh, I should say that. And then I realize, probably shouldn't, shouldn't. Um, anyways, so in the scientific community, there's things that are said, and those things that are said, like the lavender or whatever, should be tested. And so I looked and I researched it online and, and found some conclusions, and we'll just move on from that whole thing. But anyways, um, but we should test things. We should test things scientifically. And, and I, me, with my scientific mindset, that's what I like to do. I love Google researching it and Wikipediaing things and checking and finding sources. And I was like, well, why did that study say that? That's just who I am. That's what I like to do for fun, like legitimately. I, it's very nerdy, I know. But anyways, so this whole idea, I say all that to say that prophecy is something we can test. It should be something that we test. I'll give you the verse that I was referring to. First uh, Thessalonians 5.19 says, Don't quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with, with contempt, but test them all. And then he goes on to say, Hold on to what is good, etc. So test prophecies. That, that reference was First Thessalonians 5.19. And so we shouldn't just accept anything that comes to us and just believe it just because someone said it or someone mentioned it. It's like, no, we, before we put our faith in something and believe something, we should know why. We should have reasons why we can and maybe should, as we are commanded here to test prophecies, should test prophecies. So if someone gives you a prophecy, if you feel like God is saying something to you, you should test it. And I think one of the great ways to test it, of course, is with Scripture. One of the great ways to, ways to test it is to bring it to the community of people that surround you and say, I got this prophecy, or I'm thinking that the Lord might be saying this. What do you think? Can I, can I throw this out as a discussion and test it with you guys? What do you think? What do you think the Bible says? Let's test this thing to see if it is 
uh, from God or if it's just my own imagination or from something that is not of God. So prophecies for today, uh, they are for today. Desire it, test it, and finally um, practice the, the gift of prophecy or prophetic visions or ideas or what you think the Lord is saying. Practice it with love. And I think that um, that, that we just read this scripture in 1 Corinthians 14, but going back to 1 Corinthians 13, um, is all, you've probably read the 1 Corinthians 13 and like 90% of weddings, it's the great love passage. Love is patient, it's kind. It goes on to talk about how love is the greatest of all gifts. There's faith, hope, and love, but the greatest among these is love. And so anything compared to love is, is like nothing without love. Prophecies are nothing without love. The gift of tongues is, is just noise without love. Um, even the gift of healing, it says, is nothing without love. And so practice love. Above all, it is the greatest gift. And so if you practice the gift of prophecy, do it with love. And if you want to hear a full sermon about this, uh, Brady Boy did a great job. If you are uh, online, go to newlifechurch.org, go to podcast, go to two years ago, February two years ago, t- t- uh, 2010. It's all um, uh, online. All our all our sermons are online from a long time ago. And you could uh, listen to a sermon, watch a sermon even, called The Gift of Prophecy by Brady Boyd. And he talks about his main point for that whole sermon is if you're going to prophesy, do it with love because love is the greatest gift of the entire um, gifts of the Spirit. Love is the greatest one. And so I say that as, as an important point right now, but then to say that we're looking at the minor prophets. And the minor prophets are often these guys um, who are prophets of destruction, prophets of doom, talking about how the Lord is going to crush them, talking about how the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. And, and if you get this mindset in your head that the, the minor prophets are these prophets that enjoyed bringing God's destruction and hated the people of Israel, hated the people of Nineveh, then I think you're missing out on something. Because I, I think if we learned anything from the first prophet we talked about, who was Jonah, we learn the story behind Jonah, that Jonah was sent to Nineveh, his enemies, this capital city of Assyria. And he goes and preaches against Nineveh, and, and he doesn't want to do so because he knows that the Lord is loving and will forgive. And so he preaches destruction of Nineveh. The people turn and repent. And then God um, has mercy and doesn't destroy them. And then who is the one that gets rebuked and all that? Well, it's Jonah because he was the one prophesying without love. He ran away. He didn't want to prophesy to those people because he knew that by prophesying to them, they would turn and repent. And so I think this underlying theme of the minor prophets, even though there's destruction and doom and and saying that the Lord is going to destroy and do harm and bring locusts and, and just horribleness to the land and to the people in all of that, that, that somehow it was done with love. And I'll try to argue that a little more later through Nahum and, and Micah, that, that the Lord wanted those people to repent ultimately and turn from their wickedness. And the Lord was apt to use anything, including destroying them, bringing the Assyrians, bringing the Babylonians, bringing the locust plague, bringing injury, bringing these horrible things to the land, to the people, so that they would ultimately turn and, and love God and repent. And so um, that bigger theme being that, that prophecy must be done with love. The New Testament is so clear on that, 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 that love is the greatest of all gifts. And so um, I'll give this idea and this question back to you. 
before moving on and talking about Micah and Nahum, I want to give you a discussion question to, to talk about at your tables or to turn to some people around you. And what I want you to do um, is to compare and contrast New Testament, NT, and OT, Old Testament, prophecy. Compare and contrast. And so if you're on the right side of the room, that's you guys, I want you to contrast um, the Old Testament and New Testament prophecy, maybe talk about the differences. And if you're on the left side of the room, I would love for you guys to concentrate upon uh, comparing, saying big generalities of, of New Testament and Old Testament pro- pro- prophecies that are similar. So um, I'll give you like two minutes, and then maybe I'll go out with a microphone and get a few of, your, of you to respond. So um, ready, get set, discuss. Sorry to, to close your conversation short, but uh, we want to get to Micah and Nahum as, as we're going to talk in a minute. And so um, I, I want to, I think maybe we'll just get one person from each side, which I'm sure lots of you could talk, but they're pointing at you. Do, do you have something, Daniel? Yeah. yeah, he's got something. Okay, good. And don't you, by the way, if, you, if people are pointing at you, you don't have to share. Daniel is a great sport. And so the right side uh, of the room, contrast Old Testament, New Prop. Old Testament, New Testament prophecies. Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> totally forgot what we said. He forgot what they said. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So the Old Testament talks more, as far as prophecy goes, about wrath and redemption coming, and the New Testament talks more about... It's the mic. There's problems. He's coming to... Plus it's it's on, though. Very white voice. It's, he's got a very white voice, is what he said. <laughs> is it on? It looks like it's on. It looks fine. Does that work? No, it doesn't. I'll give you this thing, but it fits to my it molds to my ear. <laughs> yeah, just, just say just say it, and I'll re-say it. So Old Testament talks more about wrath. Old Testament more about wrath. And talks more about um, coming redemption. Coming Bible redemption. Yeah. And the New Testament talks more about future glory through revelation and Christ returning and all everything being set. Yeah. Okay, so New Testament, more things being set right. Um, I guess we're, yeah, we got mics everywhere now. And Old, Te- Old Testament, wrath, things to come. New Testament, things that have taken place, things that are yet to come. Thank you. Yeah, so we contrasted. And Aaron Higgins, I see your hand. Compare the Old Testament and New Testament. Well, bo- both the New Testament and the Old Testament are filled with plenty of prophecy of the coming of Christ. Uh, Old Testament about his first coming. Uh, and the New Testament about his second coming. Yeah. Um, and both are very much about judgment. There's still judgment involved, obviously, with Christ in the New Testament. Judgment for believers, it, it's not the same as a non-believer is going to be. So, so the comparison between the two is both are ultimately leading to a coming of Christ. It's just whether it's the first or second coming. That's good. So there's there's things of the future. So prophecy is both in the Old and New Testament, things that are coming. Um, I thought about why you were saying you said something that, that, that I will rephrase and say that you know, if you just think that the New Testament is, is 
puppies and rainbows and God being Santa Claus for everyone, and the Old Testament is God being mean to everyone, well then, have you actually read the New Testament and read, say, Revelation, where God will judge, read uh, where Jesus talks about, woe to you, Bethsaida, um, if you, the miracles were performed in you like they were, if the miracles were performed in Sodom like the miracles were performed in you, they would have repented, but Woe to you on the day of judgment, this prophecy that they were going to be judged. And then, of course, the New Testament, that, that the Lord is good and gracious and full of mercy. That's Old Testament ideas as well. And so there, there we can, I think, in this bigger scheme of things, compare and contrast Old Testament and New Testament prophecy. And this umbrella um, is, is where we're kind of at now with specifically uh, changing gears right now. And so please realize that we are changing gears and now turning and talking about the book of Micah. And so if you want to talk about Micah, it's, it's under this umbrella that we realize that he is a minor prophet. Um, if you turn to the book of Micah, you will maybe see very quickly that it has seven chapters if you've ever tried to read the book of Micah, you may know that it is not an easy book to, to, to get the figurative fruit from. Sometimes books of the Bible are like walking through a figurative tree, ar- archer, orchard, 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 anyways, and you're just walking along, picking off fruit and eating it. Sometimes in the books of the Bible, I think, requires a figurative ladder to figuratively climb high and work very hard to get the figurative fruit of your Bible study. I think Micah is one of those books that is figuratively harder to get the fruit from than other books of the Bible. And so I think as you begin to understand who Micah is and the time in which he prophesied, if you look on your timesheets, some of you will enjoy doing this, he roughly prophesied between 750 B.C. and 700 B.C., the 50 or so years in there. And if you look at who the kings were at that time, you will see some bad king. I think one bad king and a couple good kings on your, on your timeline. They are either uh, red or green, signifying whether they followed the, the ways of the Lord or not. And so Micah prophesied during a more complicated time. Uh, some of the prophets prophesied when the, when the whole nation was doing evil. They prophesied, and it was just like a one-message pony, figurative um, pony, that, that here's the message, repent. Micah provides different situations for repenting, and then, and then the people do, and then he tells them to repent again, and there's, there's a lot going on here in these seven chapters. Here's a picture of Micah that we found online. Uh, once again, the beard, the robes. Um, his name means who is like Yahweh. I think there's a play on that in, in chapter 7, verse 18, where, where, where it actually says, who is, who is God, who is a God like you who pardons and forgives transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? He goes on um, throughout this book to prophesy of a coming judgment. Uh, if you turn to uh, Micah chapter 3, starting in verse 9, he says, Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort what is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. So here he's telling the people, you need to repent. You're not doing what is right, because here's what's going to happen. Um, verse 12, Therefore, because of you, Zion will be 
plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become like a heap of rubble, and the Temple Hill mound will over, be overgrown with thickets. And so what happens in this story, we learn, is that Hezekiah, the king of Judah at that time, hears Micah the prophet talking about the destruction that is coming. He repents and changes the ways uh, that, that Judah was going, and he responds, and Jerusalem turns from their wickedness, and the Lord does not, um, at least at this point in history, plow them like a field, and make Jerusalem like a heap of ruffle. Um, It's interesting, as a side note, that Jeremiah refers to Micah. Jeremiah, the major prophet, uh, often called the weeping prophet. Here's a picture of him, of course, the beard, um, and the old man in robes, uh, because that's our image of a prophet. But here's Jeremiah prophesying, weeping, and Jeremiah also prophesied of the destruction of of Jerusalem. And you can read about this story if you want a homework assignment to read Jeremiah 26. Jeremiah, basically the short of the story is that I can recap, is that Jeremiah refers to Micah and says, listen, Micah prophesied of the destruction of Jerusalem and you guys repented and then the Lord didn't destroy Jerusalem. Jeremiah, about a hundred years later, uh, prophesies of the destruction of Jerusalem and the people want to kill him. He says, why would you kill me? Why don't you just listen to me like the people in Micah's time listened to him? So anyways, it's an interesting comparison of, of Micah and Jeremiah and maybe that verse in Micah and what Micah prophesied saved Jeremiah's life because the people do respond to Jeremiah. They don't kill him, but then they end up really not repenting. And then, of course, like we learned at the beginning, if you were following and remember all these details, the Babylonians do come in and they do destroy Jerusalem um, and, and Judah. Anyways, going back to Micah to kind of wrap up, um, Micah realized that we just covered the, an entire book of the Bible very quickly. This is an overview. I do encourage you to, to read this book in its fullness later. And consider when it was written and the kings and the good and the bad that was going on and this call to repentance. Um, you might find that, that this favorite verse is in the book of Micah. It's read a lot around Christmas time, which is Micah 5.2, where it says, um, a ruler will come, someone whose origins are from old. Uh, Micah 2 says, out of you, Bethlehem, uh, Arapatha, that's the area of, of Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me, one who is ruler over Israel, whose origins are from very old and ancient times. And this, of course, is the prophecy that the wise men, you know, around the Christmas story take, and they look for the prophet who was born in Bethlehem. And there's this thing where Herod asks, where is the prophet supposed to be born? Where's the coming one? Where's the Christ? Where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And it's like, duh, Micah prophesied about him. Micah 5.2, Bethlehem is supposed to be his. Uh, out, of, out of Bethlehem will come this prophet. So anyways, the book of Micah in a nutshell, judgment it is to come. Then there's a section of the restoration that will come. Then there's a section of the God's kind of lawsuit against the people that God will not let sin and wickedness go unpunished. Um, but then the book of Micah kind of ends with this expression of hope that will come in the end. So, Micah in a figurative nutshell. Now, Nahum in a figurative nutshell. Flip a few pages. Nahum is three chapters. Nahum is an entire book of prophecy against the city of Nineveh. Does anyone know what capital what I'm wording this like a Jeopardy question. Does anyone know that <laughs> I don't even know how to say it. Assyria. I'll just give the answer. Assyria is 
the, I still can't even say it. Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Um, Nahum comes at a time when Assyria had already wiped out the northern kingdom. And here Nahum is in the south saying, we're not, you know, we're not safe from the Assyrians either. They have d- destroyed the north. They may come and destroy us, but God is awesome. He is mighty and powerful, and God is going to destroy the Assyrians and Nineveh for what they have done. And so, does anyone remember what other prophet prophesied against Nineveh? Yeah, I hear it. Jonah was the, the major prophet against Nineveh. Jonah was potentially a couple hundred years before Nahum. The story of Jonah is that he preached to Nineveh for them to repent, that God was going to destroy them. They did repent. God didn't re- destroy them. Fast forward a couple hundred years. They've returned to their wickedness. They do horrible things um, to, to the nations. And Nahum is a three-chapter book that is a prophecy against Nahum, which in my mind kind of reminds me of a structure of another book that we talked about last week. Obadiah is a prophecy against the kingdom of Edom, if you were here last week, just like Nahum is a prophecy against Nineveh. And so continuing on, here's the picture I found online of Nahum. Of course, there was no photographs back then. So we don't really know if he fit the mold of being a prophet with robes and a big beard. But that's just how we picture all prophets. But we kind of talked about how that shouldn't be the case, uh, New Testament wise. But anyways, Nahum um, starts off with, with what we already read today as we began the Mill Sunday School um, of this prophecy of the Lord being a jealous and avenging God. The Lord uh, is, is full of wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemy. And, and the name Nahum actually means comfort. So the book of Nahum, the book of comfort, and yet you start reading things like we just read, and you're like, wait, really? This is a book of comfort? The Lord is jealous and avenging? How can that be a comforting thing to consider? Well, it's a comforting thing to consider because Nineveh was such a horrible city, and the Assyrians did such horrible things to the people of the nations of the earth at the time. And so this is a comforting thing to just kind of throw this idea out there, because it it is God saying that God will destroy his enemies, that the people who have done unjust things and done horrible things to you, God is going to punish them for their sins. And so that's a, a comforting thing to know that, that God is just, that he will avenge those that have murdered and done wrong, and he will eventually make all things right. And so I think in a bigger scale, we, we can say that this book of Nahum is comforting in that sense, that God is just and will avenge sin. He won't just wink at it and say, yeah, go ahead, do your thing, do your sin. No, you can do it for a time, but the Lord will come. He will avenge. He will make everything right in the end. And so um, just uh, to show you maps, because I know you like maps, there's the city of Nineveh, about northeast of Israel, the capital city of Assyria. Here is a picture of a re- relief, ancient relief art of, I don't know if you can see that, you probably can't unless you're in the very uh, close, so I'll describe that the Assyrian army, it has poles and they ram, uh, sorry, this is a very descriptive kind of messy uh, image, but they ram poles through the people of Judah. And so there's individuals being pulled up like a 10, looks like 10 or so feet high. They're being killed. They're being 
put up on a pole for all to, to laugh and to mock at. And these, this is the way the Assyrians did things. There's another verse, I think you could correct me if it wasn't the Babylonians, but the Assyrians, um, it talks about how they led people away with fish hooks, like maybe literal fish hooks through some part of their body and made them captive and, and took them away from their land. Just a horrible nation, a horrible group of people that did things unjustly, that even waged war in an unjust manner. And you look at passages like Nahum 3, 19 that says, nothing can heal you. Your wound is fatal. Um, all who hear the news about you, like they hear the news that Assyria is going to be destroyed, clap their hands at your fall. They celebrate for who is not felt your endless cruelty. And then it goes on to talk about um, how there was prostitution that was raging at the time. Um, it says something like this, which is kind of just a hard passage to consider that this is in the Bible, like the book this is our book of Scripture, but it says this. It's, it's kind of graphic. Uh, the Lord says, I'm against you. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdom your shame. And so it's this idea that they were just a nation of prostitution and sexual immorality, and God is going to expose that. And so as we conclude today, um, we've talked about four different, totally different things. A review, um, what prophecy is, for today, the book of Micah, the book of Nahum. We've kind of been all over the place, but I just wanted to end with um, the, this idea that, that, that the Lord is good. Um, we, we do know that, um, even though there's, there's pretty wicked prophecies that, that Nahum says the Lord is jealous and avenging, that Nahum does say in verse 1-7, this would be a great memory verse if you're looking for a memory verse. Nahum 1-7, it's on the back of the, the skillet of the verse of the day, the quote of the day. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust him. And I think the, the, the way the Lord speaks is mysterious. The way prophecy works is mysterious. I encourage you to, to listen to God. I encourage you to, to act in this gift of prophecy with love, um, to, to test the prophecies, to see if they are of God, that ultimately, even if God is calling you to repent and saying that, that destruction might happen like he does in the Old Testament, like he does in the minor prophets, it's ultimately for good. It's ultimately for you to return to God, to repent of your sin and to return to him. And so it's with that big idea that, that we'll close, that I'll pray over you. Um, and so let's do that. God, we do... Um, we come before you, um, your servants. God, we come before you humbly and, and say that, God, we want you to speak to us. We want your words. We want your visions, your dreams to come before us, for us to, to flow and to walk in this gift of prophecy, as majestic as it is, as awesome as it is, as confusing as it is at times. God, would you give us your wisdom? Give us your words. God, we seek you. We seek your love we seek your presence, and we leave here um, expecting you to speak to us, God. We love you. We praise you. Everybody said amen. All right, friends, you're officially dismissed. Peace out. If you're going to big church, invite somebody with you because it's a big church, and we should sit together. Cool? Peace. <laughs>